Hey, welcome back to another episode of Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tosco. With me today is a guest who's like, I, I think all of our guests are interesting, but, but he's particularly interesting. Uh, Dryden Brown is the co-founder and CEO of Praxis, which is a society devoted to building a new city. So Dryden, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So, so how does someone end up in the role of conceiving and building a new city? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I've been obsessed with this notion of building new cities uh, since I was 14 or 15. I was reading a ton of sci-fi at the time, um, thought, thought it was super interesting. And I came across uh, this concept of seasteading, uh, this notion of like building new cities on the ocean. And, you know, Patrick Friedman was sort of the, the protagonist and Peter Thiel had funded it. And I was really struck by um, just this fact that some serious people who, who built really real things, you know, take crazy ideas seriously, take sort of sci-fi ideas seriously. Um, and I decided, you know, I, I was going to do that. I was going to figure out how to, uh, you know, build a new city and, uh, and actually sort of make, make 21st century cities a reality. Um, and yeah, I mean, so then I just sort of, you know, I, I wanted to, to find people who are actually building new cities and, you know, building new towns. And I, uh, applied to, you know, work for a lot of different people as a, you know, a, a teenager trying to help them on whatever project they were working on, um, through a weird sort of series of events, I ended up working at a, an activist hedge fund where the portfolio manager um, was the chairman of the board of this big master plan community development company. That was a totally crazy experience. Um, I, I left there, went to go work for another hedge fund. We were doing some quirky real estate stuff and some software stuff was still sort of, you know, focused on doing this, you know, this new city research, figuring out how to build new cities. And eventually I left with now my co-founder, um, to travel around the world and meet with all the people working on the biggest new city projects in the world. Um, did that for about a year. Um, and then last year in, uh, you know, in, in late 2020, we founded Praxis um, and I'll uh, pause there. So, so tell me like wh why, what, like, okay, you know, I think everyone can kind of walk through this city that they live in and point out 50 things that are wrong with it. Uh, but most of them don't then go about trying to actually recreate the entire thing. What's the underlying vision? What, what do you want to achieve? Yeah, I mean, so the core idea, um, well, I mean, really at a meta level, you know, in the 20th century, cities were organized around labor markets. That was the organizing principle of cities. Now it's the biggest shift taking place in the world is the internet is eating the labor market. You can access the global labor market from anywhere, from your laptop. Um, so there's this open question, sort of like, what, why, are we, why are we organizing around labor markets again, should we still organize around labor markets? And people really want to live with people who share their values. They want to live in, in a real community. They want to live with people maybe even who share their religion and, and sort of other you know core identities or characteristics. And so what we decided to do is to build a city um, or really build a community first of people who are deeply committed to living a more vital life. And I mean that both in the sort of physical sense, living a more sort of like you know physically robust life, working out, getting in the sun, eating better, um, but also um, a more sort of spiritually vital life, like finding a, a sense of purpose and meaning, um, you know, sort of thinking about these questions of uh, sort of fate and destiny that I think a lot of us have lost sight of, you know, over the last, you know, 100 years or so. Um, and, uh, and and that's sort of the core idea, sort of building building a new city around shared values um, and the shared values for our for our city and for our community are, are you know, the sort of conceptual through line is vitality. Vitality is the sort of core idea. And what, do you, what, what are the shared values and what do you mean by vitality? So, uh, well, I mean, yeah, but vitality is sort of the core idea. I think uh, it sort of generates a bunch of other values. But really, you know, the focus is on, um, you know, on, on sort of like, you know, human flourishing, being physically more vital. Like, you know, I guess like, uh, 
you know, in the United States today, I think the obesity rate is something like 49%. So that would be a good metric to indicate sort of not, not a physically vital uh, society, the sort of, you know, values are not producing a physically vital people. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, trying to, to instill an ethic of sort of physical, you know, physical fitness, caring about diet, caring about sort of like, you know, physical, uh, you know, like physical ability and things like this, that's sort of one element of vitality. We also mean sort of, you know, finding purpose individually, you know, finding, uh, you know, a life, a career, a sort of path that you, uh, that, that gives you a sense of purpose and meaning, um, you know, perhaps, you know, that means building a family. Um, I, I think also community uh, vitality entails having a, you know, really a common goal as a society. You know, what, what kind of future are we trying to build collectively? Um, your values imply your vision for the future. And to the extent that you don't have shared values in a, you know, in a political unit, it's really hard to build towards a coherent vision for the future. And, you know, that's one of the big problems with, uh, you know, living in a, uh, uh, you know, politically polarized society beyond the sort of obvious, you know, immediate uncomfortableness. And if if some of the values you just espoused are maybe more familiar to millennials and Gen Z, um, why do they need to be together physically in order to live those values? Don't they have all these digital communities already that that connect them? Um, yeah, they do. I mean, I think I think uh, well, I mean, really, the core thing is like you know, humans are really mimetic. Uh, sort of mimetic, mimetic creatures. We are really prone to copying one another. It's like how we how we coordinate so well. Um, it's one of the biggest sort of strengths we have. But but also, you know, if you have um, if if you have a set of values or you know a goal that's completely misaligned with that of your peers, it's really hard to adhere to it because you have all these sort of like subconscious biases to default towards you know whatever the sort of norm is around you. And uh, it's it's really powerful to organize in a physical space with people who share your values. You can, you can sort of take a step towards self-actualizing, uh, you know, in, in New York, maybe towards a, you know, a set of values that are not, you know, espoused generally by people in New York, but really I think to fully live them and, and to live them sort of effortlessly, you need to live with people who, who share those values. So you start sort of, you know, modeling your behavior on the people around you. Cause that's what you're just going to do as sort of a, you know, fact of, of human nature. Got it. So how do you go about how, how does if someone's listening to this podcast says that sounds a great idea I'd like to build a new city too like what do you do um, yeah I mean so there's a lot of complexity on the real estate side there's a lot of complexity on the infrastructure side and on the governance side building relationships with uh, you know developers and with you know governments that, that might be interested in working with us so we spent a, you know a few years doing that and then we had this sort of background in finance my co-founder and I you know for for many years before embarking on this project. But, uh, you know, really this sort of core insight was, hey, um, what we need to do is we need to build a massive community around this notion of building a new city. And in doing so, de-risk demand for the project, which makes it easier to finance. And when you have demand and you have uh, capital, it's easier to go to a government and get a deal inked, you know, right away, get a deal that's, uh, you know, super you know, beneficial to both you and the host nation. And, and that was sort of the core insight. It's like, okay, we, we've set up these relationships on the supply side. We've set up these relationships on the governance and real estate infrastructure side. Now what we really need to do is go out and build a community of pioneers, build a community of super amazing, talented people who want to live more vital lives and get them super excited about this notion of like being a founding father of a new city. And then once we have all those people, then then it you know becomes a lot easier to underwrite the project uh, and, and go out and execute on it. So who, who are the kinds of countries that say, yeah, we, we'd like to have a, a new city with a kind of a different mentality than we have right now? Um, yeah, I mean, so, 
Well, I mean, really, like, you know, take like, you know, there, there are countries on the Mediterranean, you know, that, for example, have, you know, uh, you know, say $5 billion GDP. New York City has a $2 trillion GDP. If you build a city in a country, you know, like that uh, with a, you know, a, a GDP that, that, that approximates a neighborhood in New York, you can easily, you know, 10 to 50x the economic output of the entire country, which is a pretty remarkable thing, right? It's like if you can go to a country and say, hey, like very credibly, we can 10x your economic output by bringing over a bunch of super talented people that, hey, by the way, uh, you know, all the super talented people that are born in your country that might leave, that might sort of like, you know, participate in this sort of brain train effect might might actually stay or even come back. Like that's super, super powerful. Um, so I think, you know, b- basically every country in the world would find this exciting to varying degrees. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think the sort of best match is probably small countries, um, with uh, just, you know, drop dead gorgeous or coastlines that, uh, you know, that, that, you know, people from around the world would love to live in. Does your city have to be all of the traditional things that we identify with municipality or is it more, you know, taking existing infrastructure and sort of carving out uh, a community within it? Yeah, I mean, so cities cost tens of billions of dollars to build, but, but the way you sort of think about this is, um, you know, you want to build a town basically like a college town for 10,000 people. And to do that, you don't need to build a new infrastructure, you know, wholesale if you build um, near an existing municipality um, in a sort of, you know, essentially, uh, uh, you know, sort of um, suburban area uh, with with a large former military base or, or, or something like this. And you can repurpose the infrastructure if you find a sort of, you know, an abandoned military base or an abandoned university. There's a ton of existing infrastructure, legacy infrastructure that you can kind of bootstrap your initial population off of. And you generally want to build with a large uh, greenfield site adjacent such that um, when you prove out the demand thesis of, of the city, meaning, you know, you move 10,000 people in from all around the world, people love it, it's really great. Then you can build, you know, robust or full, full city scale infrastructure in the adjacent site and go from 10 to 100,000 people and 100,000, you know, possibly to a million. And, and then at that point, you're building you know, from scratch, all of the sort of core infrastructural pieces that you'd identify with, uh, you know, a city like New York or, or London. So, so there have been attempts in the past to create kind of planned communities and utopias of different kinds. Uh, have you studied those? And, and if so, what has worked and what hasn't? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, uh, well, I mean, yeah, there, there's a long history of building new cities. Typically, when the projects are are government led, um, they're able to make them work to some, you know, some degree. I mean, so if you have, uh, you know, take like the, the capital of Nigeria, um, Abuja, it's sort of, you know, the government can say, hey, um, we're going to build a new city here, allocate a ton of resources towards starting to build it. And, uh, and, and they can essentially force people to move or induce demand um, by one, moving a bunch of government buildings there, all the government workers then have to move. Um, and two, um, you know, there, there are a ton of services business that, that, that spring up around, um, you know, those, those government offices. Um, so, so they can sort of bootstrap the labor market. They can get the social network going as a consequence of, you know, moving a bunch of businesses and, and government buildings, you know, into the zone. Um, and they can also, you know, uh, you know, give tax benefits and all these other things to, to incentivize people to move. Um, private new city projects are a bit harder. Usually there isn't a mechanism like that unless it's a, you know, sort of corporate town or company town, um, you know, Amazon HQ2, there's sort of no question that that'll work at, at, at some level because Amazon's going to open a giant office there and there'll be a bunch of you know, bright, talented people there and people want to move to live near those people. And some of those people will even start businesses. The really challenging ones are, 
are are projects like like ours, like the one we're pursuing, where um, you know we're not a government and we don't have you know tens of thousands of employees to move to our new city. So we actually have to attract new people. And the trap that a lot of these people fall into that are like us, typically it's like you know billionaires who who have this you know uh, sort of concept for what a new city might be. Typically, the trap they fall into is hey, I'm going to design the city so well that everyone will want to move. It'll be so amazing. Maybe there will be some special governance rights that, you know, there, there's a, you know, it's a charter city or something like this. Everyone will find, you know, all these features so compelling. They'll just want to move. But actually, network effects are super, super powerful. It's insanely hard to get people to leave New York, San Francisco, L.A. Um, to move to a new city, no matter how compelling the features are. You look at sort of the, the tax characteristics and regulatory characteristics of, you know, Wyoming or something. That's like a charter state. Right. And people aren't really leaving California to move there, at least not in droves. And so I, I think really the way you solve this problem is by building the network first, like building the social network first. Um, you have to build a community of people who, you know, uh, are, are sort of like mutually committed to moving. It's like I want to move because the other 10 other people in the community want to move more so even than any physical characteristic of the city. And if you can build a community that has you know, the most compelling people in the world, you have top founders, you have you know, artists, you have models, you have actors, you have this really robust, compelling community all aligned towards this share vision that gets super, super compelling. Um, and, and, and then, you know, that, that starts to work. I think the reason that no one had done this before, you know, there's sort of some, there, there's some examples. So, I mean, Israel is kind of like this, right, for example. Um, but, uh, but, but the, you know, the sort of reason I think we're in a special moment in time today for new cities and for sort of the future of cities in the 21st century is remote work. It's sort of, you know, we, 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 we can just get up and leave, bring our laptops, our jobs follow us. The economic penalty you pay by leaving, you know, your you know, L.A. or New York or whatever and moving to a new city is, uh, you know, massively diminished post uh, this remote work shift. Right. COVID in some ways must have been the best thing that ever happened to you because uh, now you've kind of picked this beautiful spot in the Mediterranean and attract people who don't actually gonna have to leave their job necessarily. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was it was insane. Um my co-founder and I were just sitting in our little apartment, like kind of figuring out what we were going to do. We just gotten back from uh, from from Europe, and we had a trip planned to Nigeria, and we, you know, and uh, and and then we got totally boxed into our apartment as everyone did, and we had no idea what we were going to do. And then a ton of people started reaching out to us and asking, um, you know, if we we're going to try to remote work anywhere, and if you know if we we're going to back to Croatia, back to Montenegro, and, and you know, this sort of idea came into being at that point. And so, how do you actually? find the people who are willing to sort of uproot their entire lives and move to some other part of the world uh, to be with like-minded people. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, well, I mean, practically what you do is you put out a beacon, you put out a signal. So, you know, whether it's an essay, whether it's tweets, um, you, you just put ideas out into the world and you see what sticks, you see if people are excited by them. And I mean, frankly, I, I think, um, a lot of people feel like they can't be part of a sort of grand historical narrative anymore. They feel like that's sort of shut off to them. They feel like their lives are, you know, a little bit like constrained and their lives are just sort of their own lives. But I think the thing, sort of what we're really offering, I think that the thing that we really tapped into was like, hey, no, there's an opportunity to participate in this grand historical narrative to build the future of cities. You can be a founding father. Like this is, this is real. Like we're actually doing something that feels like, uh, you know, it, it feels like something that would have happened a few hundred years ago, but it's happening now. We have a new opportunity to be pioneers and to, you know, step out onto a frontier. And that's just like super compelling to a lot of people. Um, and so, I mean, I think, you know, the way that we've grown, you know, in practice is, you know, a few people have reached out through Twitter. Mostly it's word of mouth. 
Um, and that's basically been it. We're, we're going to start doing some content to tell the story of, you know, building the city, but, um, it's just such a compelling thing to be part of, you know, building a new city, like people have built new cities for, for millennia. It's just like, so like visceral and real. It's not like building a, you know, building a, a an online community or something. It's like, no bricks are going to be laid. Like that's, it's just so tangible, you know? So what, what's the critical mass of people you need for this to get off the ground and potentially work? Uh, yeah, I mean, so we're doing 10,000 in our first phase. I think it would work with something like 2000, but we're going to do 10. Um, and I think it's going to feel a lot like sort of like clubhouse in the early days. It's going to be, you're going to be with like the early people, um, who are super committed, who are super curated, like sort of handpicked. And, uh, I, I think, I think like, you know, if we had 500 people it sort of wouldn't work 2000 people, then it's sort of like, you know, you're, you're like a freshman in college again. It's like, you're in this like little community. 10,000 is like pretty magic. 10,000 is, is like you're meeting new people all the time. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty exciting. You can have sort of a broad array of people. You see people that you've never seen before on a regular basis. And, uh, but it's still like kind of intimate and, you know, very curated. So this is obviously a really, really big idea. And I'm sure more than a little controversial. Um, as you go around the world talking to uh, potential investors, uh, you know, municipal leaders, things like that, What's the reaction to that? Well, I mean, when we talk to when we talk to um, to governments, uh, they tend to be pretty excited. I mean, I think you know the opportunity to have the most talented people in the world move to your uh, you know to your area that, that's that's super exciting. And then obviously there's all the um, you know the sort of attendant investment dollars, the FDI. That's super compelling. So the reactions have been. Um, you know, pretty, pretty positive, I think exclusively positive with governments, um, with investors, it, you know, it, it varies. It depends how sort of like, you know, visionary a person is, it depends, um, you know, if, if they can sort of conceptualize something like this, or if it's just like too, too strange, I think also with, you know, with investors, this is like a sort of classic story, but it's, it's just like, you know, once you get a few, a few highly credible, like highly talented people involved, um, you know, then, then all the conversations get a lot easier. And so, uh, you know, we're lucky enough to have some really good people on board. We, we haven't announced our, our last raise yet, so I can't like comments on round details, but, uh, you know, yeah. And then, so are, are there particular cities around the world or even neighborhoods within cities that you think are uh, a, a good example of, of what you're trying to do or anything you're trying to emulate? Um, you know, Tyler Cowen had this line uh, on a podcast a, a few weeks ago. He talked about how there are a lot of really charming, like beautiful neighborhoods in, you know, Paris and London and, you know, throughout throughout Western Europe. Um, and none of them were built recently. Like none, none of the neighborhoods that, that were built recently in any of these places are you know really that beautiful or charming. Some of them are pleasant to live in. Um, but, uh, but, but that's about it. That's about the nicest thing you can say about them. And I think... Um, you know, thinking deeply about why that is, why architecture, why urban planning are, are so broken or so sort of, you know, bankrupt as industries at this moment. I think that's a question that we need to examine, you know, deeply. Um, I, I think, you know, we've lost a lot of craftsmanship. I think, you know, we have a lot of sort of, you know, postmodern, like ironic artists, you know, building these, these uh, I don't know, sort of brutal structures that, that aren't really human. And, and you know, we, we need to sort of take a step back and reevaluate. But I think you know most of most of the references that we have in our office and most of the things that that I find inspiring are, are not uh, you know not things that were built recently. Um, 
I do like I do like Zaha Hadid's work though. I think some of that's like really really beautiful. So what about historically? Is like you know Athens from you know the the, the height of the, the Greek Empire? Are there particular moments in history that you've read about that to you say, hey, this this is what I want to achieve here? Um, yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, like yeah, Re- Renaissance Florence, like ancient Athens, like like I, I think basically like the the um, the measure by which we judge uh, you know the sort of like, like sort of how well a city functions, like the quality of the city is, uh, is, is, you know, we, we try to find metrics that really reflect this notion of vitality. So, you know, was new culture being developed, was new knowledge being developed, was new technology being developed? Um, you know, were, were, the, were the people, were the people healthy? Was the governance, um, you know, it was, were the, were the governments functioning well? I think there are like specific, like, you know, design questions, like the width of roads and things like that, that, that are also interesting, but most of the historical references that we draw on, um, you know, we're sort of like pulled into that moment by, uh, you know, by some, uh, you know, some, some sort of like, you know, question as to how vital the people were. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So like from a more granular level, you know, I, I moved to the city, like what's there? Are, are there bowling alleys? Are there tattoo parlors? Are there museums? Are there bodegas? Like how do you envision the, this actually looking and working? Um, yeah, I mean, so... I mean, certainly there's going to be a ton of, of residential. So there'll be villas, like beautiful villas for people to live in, some multifamily units. Um, there's going to, they're going to be like, you know, restaurants and hotels and some retail. Um, but I mean, really, I think, you know, sort of phase one, you know, we're going to build, um, we're going to build a ton of residential. We're going to build some sort of co-working and some office space um, and, and, you know, some retails I described. But then from there on out, um, you know, we're going to take plots of land and uh, turn them over to developers that are our, you know, developer partners. Um, and then those people will be able to build what they want. And so, you know, sort of phase one is going to be a little bit more top down. And then from there on out, it'll basically be organic. So if there's a, you know, preponderance of people who love bowling, a bowling alley will, will emerge and, and sort of so on and so forth. And I think, um, you know, really sort of curating, curating the population will have, you know, a, a really strong effect on what ends up being produced, but fundamentally, like, you know, it's hard to predict what people's interests, you know, will be. I, I think the things that we can say for certain will be there, are, uh, you know, we'll have beautiful beaches, um, we'll have places to hike. So sort of like, you know, beautiful places to step into nature that are, that are you know, easily accessible from the city. Um, you know, the city will be extremely, uh, sort of extremely green and extremely uh, clean and safe. You'll be able to walk barefoot wherever you want. Um, and uh, and we'll have you know a gym and a library on the beach. Those are the two sort of the, the two buildings that we talk about a lot. Those are the two. What do you do about things like laws? Is it just going to be the existing legal and criminal justice structure of whatever country you're in, or are you trying to rewrite all of that too? Um, so these are questions that uh, you know will end up being you know a sort of, you know uh, the answers will be a product of discussion with with the host the host station, yeah. um, but. Uh, I mean, a model that we find really compelling that Dubai adopted to great success was the, you know, the DIFC model, the Dubai International Financial Center model, where essentially what they did is they created a special zone uh, with a legal and regulatory framework that was more um, familiar to multinational, uh, you know, multinational corporations and financial institutions. So they implemented British common law. Um, they had English English uh, speaking judges, um, and basically the the, the zone has. Um, you know, they, they have like sort of broad mandate over commercial law and uh, and a separate financial regulator and um, 
and and so that that sort of made this zone deeply compelling to um, you know to the to these corporate entities, and then tens of billions of dollars flooded in as a consequence because you know it was just sort of the most compelling um, you know the most compelling zone from a governance perspective in the Middle East. If you want to do business in the Middle East, it just made a lot of sense. And so they induced a lot of foreign direct investment and, and, you know, and whatnot. So I think that model is pretty compelling. I think if you can set up a jurisdiction that has a financial regulatory system that um, is super friendly to crypto, um, you know, is, is not antagonistic to crypto, I, I think that's like a deeply compelling thing, particularly with the backdrop of, you know, the SEC's handling of, um, you know, of, of this sort of incident with Coinbase and other things. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be I think that would be compelling. Uh, like if, if you take, for example, like what just happened in Texas with, with the abortion ban, do you see places like that as growth opportunities where there are people who moved to Austin because they liked the vibe of it and the community and then all of a sudden realize like, holy shit, everyone here can carry a gun and no one can get an abortion? Um, are there sort of places like that where people get dissatisfied that you, you can kind of poach them from? Yeah, uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I think... Um... I mean, I think like the, the world is only going to get more uh, polarized and extreme as people start to realize that they can, you know, group according to beliefs and to shared values and that they don't have to move to these like labor market cities and uh, mute their identities because they're living with people who have totally different values and totally different sort of fundamental outlooks, um, you know, as to, as to, you know, what the world is and, and what the human condition is. And so as people start to naturally self-select into groups that, uh, you know, they're more aligned with, we'll see like a more, a more sort of extreme, uh, a more extreme world where, yeah, I mean, if you live in, if you live in, in Texas and a bunch of people who, you know, find the abortion ban compelling and find the gun super compelling flood in, um, you know, the, the, you know, the, I don't know, like the, the legal system is going to get more extreme, like sort of culture is going to get more extreme. And if those are not things that, uh, you know, that are, that are compelling to you, then certainly you'll leave. So last question. Like, given the, the size and audacity of this idea, what are the next three or five things that have to happen uh, for this to keep moving forward and, and potentially work? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, we're, we're working on building the community. So we have a ton of amazing people in the community. We have this super um, intense application admissions process. So, I mean, really like, you know, staying true to our values, continuing to get amazing people in the community. That has to just keep working. The machine, the community machine, has to just keep getting better and getting better and getting better. And thankfully, it is, and we're hiring good people. Um, we have to, uh, you know, come to terms with the host host country. So we're we're talking to a bunch of of governments. You know, we have, we have good relationships in a bunch of places, but eventually we have to pick one and we have to get down to work and and uh, you know actually start working on these governance questions with them and you know start uh, you know that's sort of two and then three is we have to start executing on the real estate project. So there are a bunch of different things, but really it's like, you know, demand side, building the community, continuing to build the community, getting the, gov the sort of government relationship concretized, and then, uh, you know, launching the actual development, the development side, the real estate side. The good news is you'll never be bored uh, trying to do this project. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. How do people uh, learn more? How do they apply to be part of it? Um, yeah, so you can, you can get referred by an existing member. So if you know an existing member, they can refer you. Um, and if you don't, if you don't know, uh, an existing member, then you can sign up for the wait list. Um, and we will reach out shortly when we formally open applications again. Um, and feel free to follow us on Twitter. Um, you know, we, we post a, a decent amount there, mostly sort of aesthetics and ideas that I think represent our, our values pretty well. So, um, yeah, feel free to, you know, stay posted there.
Cool. All right, Dryden Brown, thanks for joining us, and, and good luck. This is a, a big, crazy, but, but, but pretty <laughs> fascinating idea. Cool. Thanks so much for having me. It's fun. Sure.